Hey. hey. Awesome, it worked. I'm excited to have you here. I'm looking forward to learning. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're getting better at starting these things, and I'm horrible at it. So don't like, don't worry about being awkward because I'm the most awkward. <laughs> you won't win. <laughs> um, so I got to introduce you two, Lucas. This is Trey. Obviously, you've said hello. Um, Trey Wilcox. I moved to back to Norton, Kansas like a year ago from Scottsdale. And my number one worry was not living, not finding place to live. It was not uh, moving my things. It was finding a farrier for my horse. It was the thing that I was most freaked out about because I was going from one of the most densely populated, like performance horse focused areas of the country to the middle of nowhere, Western Kansas. And I was terrified. And thankfully within weeks, uh, I found, actually I found Trey before I moved back and I started, I, I saw pictures of his work on Facebook and I was like, I have to get in touch with this guy. And he, yeah, the, the first like green flag for me was Trey knew what a cow horse was. I sent him pictures of my horse and he knew what that was. So I was like, okay, we're going in the right direction here. Yeah. Um, so anyway, to, to those listening, um, this is Trey Wilcox and he is my farrier. Um, thankfully, because I don't know what I'd do without him. Um, and then he recently added a few letters to his, to his title, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, so Trey, why don't you just introduce yourself really quick? Um, where are you at? A little bit about you, your family. Uh, my name's Trey. Right now? Um, I live in Colby, Kansas, clear out here in the middle of nowhere. Um, my wife, Taylor, uh, we've been married, uh, 2016, we got married. We have our first little boy, um, in 2018. And then we have a little girl that's two. So we got a busy house. Kids are always running. I know going everywhere. You're going to get big brownie points from your wife for remembering the year. Yeah. I had to, <laughs> I had to think about that for a minute. I didn't want to get, I had to look up and I remember when I started my business and we got, uh, we got married two years prior to that. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, you remember when you started your business because it was two years after you married your wife or that yep. that's why yep. or something. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Ma yep. Make it, make it. Yeah. It's all, it's about her. <laughs> yes. Always. <laughs> so, but okay. Speaking of your business, there's going to be quite a few people listening who don't even know what a farrier is. And I've said that word several times now. So can we have like quick what, dictionary definition of a farrier from you? Um, so, I mean, I guess uh, I work on horses' feet, um, trimming, trimming their feet and then applying um, shoes as necessary. I have questions. <laughs> can I go? Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading about um, farriers and it talks about um, that there is oftentimes some blacksmithing involved. So do you do some blacksmithing in terms yeah. of like shaping? Um, okay. So explain to people like, what does that look like? And what do you have to know in order to be able to take a piece of just raw steel 
Yeah. And then fit it to a horse and you know what what does it go through and all that yeah i i think that's awesome because i like fire yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a tough process and it's something that i'm still um still trying to get dialed in but basically like you have cake shoes which are like your store-bought shoes they're pre-made pre-punched um all that and then we have handmaids that um we put on too um so like your handmaids you have to know the section of steel you're using. You know, like a, for for instance, I use a lot of three eighths by three quarters. So it's three eighths thick and then three quarter wide. It's three eighths tall off the ground and then three quarter wide on the foot. And you have to know, you know, you have to be able to measure the foot. A lot of guys will use like a circumference measurement, heel to heel. And then you need to know how much that steel is going to stretch when you bend it. You know, and then you put in your traction, like your fullering and your nail holes, and that grows it even more. So, in that aspect, like in the black the blacksmithing part, um, it's something that's crazy because like math was uh, always a big struggle for me growing up, and just simple math fractions and stuff like that. And now I'm okay. This foot measures thirteen and a quarter. I need to cut eleven and a half for a three quarter three quarter fullered shoe to go on the foot to fit. Otherwise, you come up long or you come up short. It's better to come up long because you can, like, my shoe and truck, I've got grinders and all the stuff, so I can cut them down. I can make them smaller. But once they're too small, it's a booger getting them stretched back out. Yeah, that's an awesome answer. So um, when you're when you're doing that, so first off, I didn't think they were that thick. Three-eighths yeah. is pretty, that's pretty decent. That's pretty yeah. thick. Yeah. Um, so I think the question maybe a lot of people might have that don't know about horses is, and they may not even realize this, but there, there are horses in the wild, and those yep. horses don't have a Payless shoe store. They don't have a Foot Locker. They're right. not wearing shoes. So, do they all have unhealthy feet, or do their feet adapt? And like, what's the big benefit of wearing shoes for a horse? So, the reasons that I shoe a horse. Um... Two or three reasons usually if I'm wanting to add or subtract traction. Um, if a shoe is outgrowing, if a foot is wearing faster than it grows, and then therapeutic reasons, you know, for pathologies that might um the horse might have, you know. Marissa's horse needs less traction in its hind end well, and it's got pathologies well, in its front end, so we're doing a lot of stuff with like stitches. He gets a lot of stuff. Yeah. So stitches is, is my horse and, um, and yeah, Trey hit it on the nail. So we're, we're shooing him for, for two different reasons. Um, and kind of like Lucas said, like, I, I wish I didn't, didn't have to put shoes on him, but, um, so one of the reasons like subtracting traction, like Trey said on the hind end, um, he does sliding stops where like they run really fast and they, they put both their hind feet in the ground and they slide. So we want to reduce the friction there. So um, if he were competing, he would put he would wear sliders on the back, which are uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Trey. Are they usually aluminum? No, they're um, they're they're steel. What a they're steel. Okay, yep. Yep. so they are steel. Um, but they're very they're very flush. So there's like very um. I don't know. Can you explain a slider? So they're Trey. A lot of times they're um. And there's controversy there too because within the fairy community, 
Um, a lot of guys will tell you that, however, like the thicker the toe in the shoe. So like I've got some shoes up here. They're not sliders, but like the thicker this toe is, the less traction that they have. A lot of guys uh -huh. will say the um, the amount of dead space between a foot. So like if these if these were one inch sections, there's a there's no there's hardly any dead space in here. So the less dead space and the thicker okay. the toe, the the more they'll slide on the ground. Okay. And we do that um, for a lot of reasons, but mainly to try to like try to protect the horse a little bit, so you're you have less impact on their joints every time they they hit the ground and slide, because it's like a sled, you know, sledding on snow or something. Um, so you're protecting their joints a little bit, and then you are improving the stop a little bit. You can kind of control like, um, and we'll, maybe we'll get into this a little more, but you can kind of you can kind of control the way a horse stops by the way you shoe them, um, yep. and then my horse stitches on the front end um tray shoes for pathological reasons i don't know if that's pathology reasons um therapeutic because he's got some issues inside his foot that are structural that will never go away that cannot be fixed with a surgery or anything etc so um i don't even know what to call what he wears trey what would that be called he wears a um, he wears aluminum bar shoes up front with uh, a wedge pad, a bar wedge pad to stand up the angles of his pasture. So you know you know all your horses by what shoes they wear, don't you? A lot, some of them, yeah. Stitches for sure. He's a he's a he's a pretty right. unique <laughs> a, a unique horse that I work on. You know, I'm fortunate in my practice that a lot of the horses that I work on. Um, don't have very many problems and a lot of problems you can fix what's pretty um pretty small uh what's the word i'm looking for gosh dang it like um modifications in the shoe so like we can uh -huh. we can add breakover yeah. or you know different whatever horse needs a lot of times you can add them into just a regular old shoe where stitches he's you know he's got more in-depth troubles so we he requires a little bit more. Right. Um, I guess let's get into a little bit about how you know all this, because so I, like I alluded to earlier, you, you have kind of a new title now. Um, yeah. So like a, after your name it's on, on Facebook or on Instagram or something, it's going to say Trey Wilcox CJF. So yep. can you explain like what CJF is and then like, how do you even get to that? Um, so CJF is certified journeyman farrier and it's a, it's a title you gain by one, you have to be a part of an association. So the American Farriers Association, um, they have, you know, different certification levels that you can go through. Um, and basically to me, what it is, is it's just a, a learning journey, um, it requires you to pass three tests for each level you get. And then there's a written test, um, a shoe modification test, and then a practical shoeing the horse test. Um, and then aside from like um, getting any type of endorsements, the journeyman is the highest qualification that AFA offers. So that's, it's a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big accomplishment. 
I'm proud to have it. I'm proud to have went through the, the journey, they call it. A lot of my buddies and stuff we've always talked about embracing. They always talked about embrace the journey, you know, and it was, um, the journey was hard. I was like, I got about halfway through it and I was like, I don't know if I'm cut out. Like it requires a huge, um, sacrifice time-wise with my family. Um, where, you know, I'd come home at night, I work all day, shoe horses all day long. I'd come home and I'd go out in the shop and I'd be building bar shoes. And I just, I had stacks and stacks of bar shoes trying to figure out measurements for, for that part. And then like the journeyman, you have to be able to shoe a horse with handmade shoes, all four feet in two hours. So you had to get your measurements dialed in. And then it's, it's just, it's just a lot. Like the guys that pass it, it's usually not on accident. Like they had to work for it and they had to really, really get it. And the, um, the written part of the test was, was my biggest struggle. I've never been a good student. Um, I was kind of floated right in there, just good enough to be able to play sports and stuff in school. And, um, it's, it's not that I'm not a smart person. I just never really learned how to learn. I don't think, you know, and without touching it and feeling it like, so the written test is a lot of anatomical from the like common terms would be like the shoulder and hip down. You need to know all the bones, all the joints, all the tendons and ligaments, their origins, insertions, um, the blood flow, you know, arterial blood flow. And it's uh, that test, that written test is tough. It's, it's super tough. What was the thing that you learned that benefits you the most now? Man, that's a tough question. You know, I, a, a lot of the anatomy, just learning um, why horses move the way they move and how they move the way they move. Um, but honestly, if you want to talk about the benefits of going through the process and what I've benefited the most, is probably the people that I've met. Every time you go to a certification, every time you go to a contest or clinic or any type of continued education, you're surrounded by like-minded people and you know, there's 10 different ways to skin a cat. You know, you always hear that 10 different ways to skin a cat. Well, there's 10 different ways to shoe a horse and usually probably eight or nine of them aren't wrong. So I've got, that's the, the certification process has put me in front of people that I otherwise hadn't been put in front of. I have opportunities, you know, every day I can call, you know, I run into a horse that I'm just stumped. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what, what to do. I don't know how to help him. And I can call from the East coast to the West coast. I've got people I can call that have probably seen what I'm dealing with. And that's, to me, that's the biggest benefit is wow. it's teamwork. You know, every day it's, we're seeing something new or something crazy. And that's probably the biggest benefit to me. Okay. Now I have to ask, like, what's, like, give me something crazy. Like, what's something crazy that people would not expect or that would be something that they would be like, oh, that's awesome, that you've run into or, like, a hard problem that you solved um, with shoeing a horse? What's something that initially you were like, oh, didn't sign up for this, uh, yeah. but then <laughs> you got through it? Um, Man, you know, there's – there's, there's been a few things. Um, I personally had a navicular horse, um, 
used to rope quite a bit growing up and I have an older horse that's navicular and when I first kind of started going into this I was trying all these different like this cycle I would try a wedge pad the next cycle I'd try bar shoe the next cycle, and I went through this whole list of things I was trying on him and uh came down to I took a horseshoe and I turned it around backwards so the toe of the shoe was actually covering the heels and the toe was open and this horse he he didn't become 100% sound but he got to where you know like my cousins could go ride him to go move cows and like he got usable again and I was like man all the things I've tried all the money I've spent trying to help this horse and turning around a simple steel shoe backwards is what helped him and I'm like <laughs> okay I guess we'll roll with it. And Jimi Hendrix played his guitar backwards. So, yeah, there's always <laughs> yeah. something interesting to be found there. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, so, like, uh, for, first off, I don't know what navicular means. Good okay. point. Yeah. So, there's, um, so navicular disease, <laughs> navicular syndrome. Um, basically, I don't have, I wish I had a model. I don't. So there's three, there's the bones that run down the it's leg. It's okay. Some people are just listening. <laughs> the bones that run down the leg. Say it again. Um, there'd be like, mm -hmm. uh, so we'll go from the fetlock down. There's the long pastern, the short pastern, and then the coffin bone, which is what, when you think of a horse's foot, the horse's foot encapsulates the coffin bone. It's like a triangle bone that sits in the bottom of their foot. And the so like the fetlocks i have this cat, right yeah so like the 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 coffin bone sits here inside the foot so the navicular okay. bone sits behind that and it's a common it seems to me and mercy you probably have heard it a lot more too in the last probably five or ten years navicular my horse is navicular and it's a trouble um the it's bone, a very it's kind of a broad term really like anytime to me that yeah. I've got, my horse has heel pain or that you get a script from the veterinarians, you know, horse has any type of heel pain, they go, well, he's in the vacuum. So, but the, what happens is there's a, a few things that happen. The, the bone itself will remodel over time, causing um, inconsistent joint spacing. There's a bursa sac that sits between the navicular bone and a deep flexor tendon that ties into the bottom I feel like I don't, I don't want to get too in depth, but trying to keep it simple, but there's a, the deep flexor runs okay. down the back of the leg from the deep flexor muscle. And it comes underneath the foot and it ties into the bottom of the coffin bone. So like you hear of the deep flexor, that's what brings the horse's foot back when they go into the swing phase, the deep flexor pulls that foot back so they can come out. Mm -hmm. And, but the, anyways, there's a bursa sac between those, that deep flexor and the, and the uh, navicular bone and it will burst. So that'd be like a navicular bursa troubles or a lot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, horses that are too, if you want to like, they're getting into the angle thing, like a horse with low heels and their foot's really sit like this, that but what will happen is that deep flexor will just stretch too long. And then the deep flexor sore, which is also a heel pain. So that bursa, when that, when that bursa sac goes, then that just means that you've got the deep flexor that's rubbing straight on the bone. And exactly. every time that it moves, that it probably abrades or yep. scrapes up that flexor and makes it, yep. I would assume, makes it inflamed. 
yeah and it probably hurt, yeah. stretches yeah. yeah okay yeah that's that makes exactly sense. what's happening in my horse is what you just described but it's yeah. because uh it's because he's missing part of his navicular bone so it's not there and the the ddft the deep digital flexor tendon just has too much space to move around so like what trey is doing is stabilizing the entire hoof capsule and then adding a wedge so that that ddft can't move and can't scrape those edges so yep. okay i've got one more question i'm going to change direction and then i'll sit back for a while but so what we do on this podcast is we bring in people that are doing interesting things that could be celebrated maybe they aren't being celebrated or at least they're not getting probably the light shined on them um but most importantly what we're trying to do is we're trying to give people takeaways that they can use to apply to what they do and so you're running a business you're an entrepreneur you started this um by yourself i assume and yeah. so people always have the idea of the successful entrepreneur and they they rarely think about you know as they say it's like the overnight success took 10 years to happen type of thing so give people an idea of like where where are you now in terms of what your business looks like like you know how far do you or like you know how many how many how many clients do you support are you able to support more um what does the future of your business look like but also where did you start you know and how long of a process has it been in making and what if any were the things that almost kept you from not making you know because there i'm certain that there were things that almost stalled you out that you found your way around yeah so take us back to and by and and tell us by the way the name of your business and everything i I want people to make sure that they know that yeah yeah share that with us if you would so um my business is wilcox fair service llc and um when we started hey reagan see you reagan when we started, um, it was the the initial idea was I was just going to shoe our own horses, and um, that was that was we we're just going to take care of our own. We had five or six ranch horses, and I was I was really enjoying the working for my grandparents on the ranch. And for one reason or another, my uncle he's like, "Man, you ought to go to shoeing school." So, long story short, I did the whole shoeing school thing. Um, I had initially signed up for the eight week course at Oklahoma Horseshoeing School. And I got down there and I was there like a week. And the deal, the flyer, the brochure for Oklahoma Horseshoeing School says you'll shoe horses on your first day and your last day. I can't say it's a lie, but you dang sure don't shoe horses. They give you one foot every day. So you get to shoe one foot every day. And then once you're done with your foot, they send you over to the blacksmithing side of the shop and you're supposed to build horse, start learning how to build horseshoes and do this and do that. So I get down there and I'm like, yeah, you know, brochure says we're going to shoot horses the first day, the last day. And I show up, we bought, showed up on Sunday morning. We got all our tools, met all the, our new classmates or whatever. Monday morning we head out and we go to the classroom. First thing we spend an hour in the classroom and they give you kind of an introduction on anatomy. So I go through the hour class, 
And I go, okay, head to the shop. So we head to the shop and there's like 20 horses lined up down this barn. And there's, I don't know how many students total there was, but they started a new class every Sunday. So like the advanced kids were at the back end of the barn and the new kids were at the close end of the barn, closer to the instructors, instructors. And they said, Trey, you're going to do the front, right? So-and-so is going to do the front left. Somebody's going to do the hind right. And then so-and-so is going to do the hind left. It's like, cool. So they kind of, um, you know, this, our horse came in with shoes on. So they're like, pull the shoes off. This is how you do it. And then they just kind of left. And I was like, what do we do now? I went down and I knew another guy that had been there a while. And I go down there and I'm like, Hey man, what, like, what do you want us to do now? He's like, go ahead and start trimming the foot. And I was like, no instruction, no anything. It was kind of a trial by fire, I guess. So anyways, we did, we went through that process and, um, my eight week course got cut short. Um, my wife's dad was diagnosed with, uh, some cancer while we were, I had been there like a week or a week and a half. And so anyways, I decided that they did offer a two week course. So I went to the office and I said, Hey, here's what's going on in my life. Um, I'm leaving at two weeks. You can reimburse me for the six weeks or not, but I'm, I can't stay any longer. I got to get home. And luckily enough, I was fortunate. They reimbursed me for the six weeks. I wasn't there and I came home and, um, I could have went back to the ranch, but I, for some reason, I don't know. Everything just got kind of hectic right there. And I was like, I just got a shoe horse. So I got to make as much money as I can. So I just kind of hung my shingle and I went, went right to work. And it was like every day, more and more phone calls and more and more phone calls. And at about six months, I came home. I remember coming home one night and I'd got the crap beat out of me all day. Rank horses didn't stand good. Um, just a rough day. And I was tired and grouchy and Taylor said, how's work? I said, it's terrible. I said, I'm going to sell my tools. I'm going to get a job at Walmart. Like this is, this is not any fun. And she's like, what's going on? And we kind of talked about it. You know, I'm tired of getting beat up. The horses aren't any good to, to work on and, and whatever my problems were. And it was, it was, she had such a simple answer. It was, it's still kind of mind boggling. She's like, raise your prices $5. And I was like, what's that going to do? You know, $5 really isn't going to make much, much difference. And she said, raise your prices five bucks and see what happens. And so I did. And all of a sudden, all these people that I was having trouble with disappeared. Like the people that had the bad horses or the, the horses that weren't any good. Like I call them, Hey, your horses are due. Um, also, you know, we're going to go up $5. Like, Oh, he's good this time. You know, we'll catch you next time. And then they just slowly started so I did that and then, and not like I had a huge book at that time, but I had a, like we were, Taylor had a job at the car dealership in town and uh, I was shooing horses and we were living okay. And, but then all of a sudden, like these horses just started disappearing. And then my books like went from X amount of horses to probably half. And I was like, oh shoot, what did I do? You know, like I might've really screwed up the whole, the whole thing. and. So from there we went to, uh, I started, you know, kind of day working when I needed to, when I didn't have horses to shoe and, um, shoeing when I could. And I started, uh, trying to think now how all that happened, but I day worked a lot at that point and I was shoeing a few horses. And then the thing that turned 
in my head turned turned it all around for me was I was shoeing horses at a feedlot in Burlington, Colorado. And the feedlot manager came out and he said, hey, Trey, uh, we appreciate what you're doing. Um, we know it's hard work. We're going to have a guy come in the next time you're here. He's a horseshoer. And I think he can help you. And I was like, I was kind of upset. And I think the reason that I was upset was when you isolate yourself, you're the best dude in the world. Like, you, you, you know, you, until you, it's one of those deals you don't know till you know type of thing. And so I was like, I'd been shooing by myself and I was, shoes were staying on and I thought the horses were staying sound. And he's like, we're going to have a guy come in and help you. And I was like, at first I was kind of upset about it. I'm like, man, like, what am I doing wrong? You know, everything looks good to me. And then Brent, Jacobson showed up and he's like, Hey man, you know, he didn't really chew my butt, but he kind of chewed my butt. He's like, this is not fairy. This is not how it works. This is not good. And I was like, okay, what, what do I need to do different? And so then from that point, like Brent and I started riding together a little bit. And, um, that was probably, I don't know. I feel like I skipped a little time in there, but I was a, a cold chewer. So Marissa knows, but Lucas, like there's kind of a uh, saying going around, you know, like, oh, they're cowboy chewers or they're, you know, they're farriers. And I was the cowboy chewer. Like I was the guy that didn't do the horse any justice. I was the guy that was just trying to get shoes nailed on the horse so that I could get my check and go home. Like, and I thought it was good enough. And then I had the opportunity to start getting in other people's trucks. And I was like, man, the things I'm doing aren't, it's not that they were bad, but they just weren't good. And so then that was probably three years, three, three and a half years into it. And every spring in Leota, Kansas, they have the Kansas Fairies Association has a clinic. And Brent, he's like, hey, man, you know, this spring coming up, this is over the wintertime. He's like, there's spring coming up. There's a clinic in Leota. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm busy. Like, I got stuff to do. And I had all these, these excuses that I was putting out there. And I think in the back of my head, like, I was like, I'm just not good enough. Like, I don't want to go hang out with guys that are good. I'm just, you know, I don't want to show up to a clinic this weekend and get made fun of all weekend, you know, type yeah. of deal. And, um. I was like, nope, I'm not going. Too busy, too busy. The morning of the clinic, he shows up at my house. He's like, get in the truck. I'm like, why, dude? Like, I'm busy. I got horses scheduled. He said, I, I'll call him. We can get to him on Monday. So we go to this clinic. And it, that, that was um, the clinic. The clinicians that year were the American Farriers team. So they're the, they've qualified to be on the team. There's four guys. And they shoe at horseshoeing competitions around the world, like the best of the best in the United States. And it was mind blowing to me to see the amount of camaraderie, you know, and I was, a, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't have any forging tools. Like I wasn't prepared to go, but you know, guys would lend me their tools and I could go build, try and build a shoe. And, um, but to me, that was, that was it. Like the, I left that weekend and I was like, man, 
there's so much more to this than going and nailing shoes on and getting a paycheck. It's there's science behind it. There's, you know, some business behind it. And I was like, man, this is, this is cool. And from that point, like, I don't think I've missed a clinic or a contest within 200 miles of my house since that was probably two and a half, three years ago. Really? And it's just like, I got that itch, you know, and it's like, once you get that itch, you just got to go, got to go. Yeah. And do you still feel when you go there, do you, do you still feel like you're the, you're the one just kind of learning from everybody still, or are you yeah. teaching now? No, it's, there's a, there's a give and take. So the last couple months I've been really big on putting these hammer ins on is what I'm calling them. And it's just to get together. Um, the guys that, you know, I try and do one They're uh, like once a month, we'll meet at somebody's shop within the state of Kansas. And if you want to come load your stuff, let's like, come on. And we're building shoes. We're talking about anatomy. Like I'm just trying to create a family atmosphere that everybody feels welcome. So we, like we had one this last weekend, we were North of Manhattan and there's guys there that, you know, we're just getting into the industry and they were doing things and they were asking questions like and they were helping me. And then I'm working with a buddy of mine who's builds like these super nice, clean competition shoes and like his sections are appropriate and everything's pretty. And I'm like, and then I look at the shoes I'm building and I'm like, man, mine are like functional. They'll go on horse, but they're not pretty that I just haven't. And so then like I start asking them questions and it's, this is one of those industries I think that I don't know that you ever totally figure it out. And I don't care if it's forging. I don't care Perfect. if it's shoeing the horse. I don't care if it's running your business. Like it's just something that there's always things that you can know more about to help you get along, you know? But yeah, I think I, I play both sides of it still. I still ask a ton of questions. I'm probably like the annoying kid now that ask all the dumb questions and there's, you know, I used to be the quiet kid that sat in the back, scared to ask one. And now I don't, I'm, I've always got questions about stuff. That's awesome. It's a great yeah. answer. Marissa, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up a really great point that I think, uh, I think Lucas and I can both relate to separately, like from the industries we've been involved with. Um, you said something really perfect um, for me is that you're, you're never going to know it all. And um, I felt that way every day trying to figure out how to train horses. I still feel yeah. that way. And I don't, I don't think I'll ever not feel that way. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Lucas, like with, with music and uh, coding and what, what you're doing now, like that is, there's no end really. Yeah. Let me, let me talk just briefly about that. So yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think a lot of people I've tried to share this with, but you know, so I used to be a banker. I used to work in finance and then didn't like what I was doing and became very, very intentional about studying what is it that makes people fulfilled in life and yeah. what what are the things that make a person have a good life. And um, when it comes to work, when it comes to the job that you do, first off, having a job. I mean, for, like literally just retired yeah. people generally aren't that happy. Um, it's people that continue to do something and they, they live longer too, by the way. Yeah. The second thing is you hit on this, um, which is that you're, you're not going to be able to master it. If you can, 
if you choose something that you can become a master at, you're going to get bored with it. And if you get yeah. bored with it, you're going to quit doing it. But if you choose something that has so many different facets to it that you'll never be able to master it, then um, you'll continuously be able to refine what you're doing. And the, the examples I would give, like when I first started playing music, I was the guy who, I didn't start playing guitar until I was 21. Everybody else started when they were 12. Yeah. Um, I didn't know anybody's cover songs. I didn't know. I didn't have good gear. I didn't have anything. But, and, and we were playing, you know, with national acts. We're playing with, you know, with Eli Young and we're playing with, um, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Granger Smith and we're playing with Josh Abbott and, and, and Cody Cannon and all these people. And, and I remember I would get so frustrated. And, and I probably didn't handle it very well at the time too, but I, I had a, I had a saying that I would tell the guys in the band. I said, look, we might not be, we might not have the fanciest stuff. We might not be the best. We not, not might not even be good on stage, but we can always be the most prepared. Yeah. Like you can have your stuff line, you know, if I've heard Elon Musk say this, He's like, if you can, if I could tell people one thing, it would be to be useful. And I would extend that out and I would say, be useful. And if you can't be useful, at least know enough to stay out of the way of people that are being useful. And, you know, know what that means. You know, know what it means to have new strings on your guitar before a show so that you don't have to inconvenience people by changing strings out when one breaks in the middle of it. Know what it means to know where everybody goes on stage. Know what it means to have a set list that's always set. Know what it means to know what song you're going to play for warm up so you don't stand around and waste 45 seconds talking about this or that. In coding, I see it even more. And my coding mentor is, he has such a beautiful, simple way of saying this, but he, he will say, we can do this. It doesn't cost much. And what he's talking about is time. It doesn't cost much time. And he'll give me these tiny little pieces of advice, like never have your, like the screen that you're working on, never have it maximized. Always maximize it and make it just a little bit smaller. And then that way your cursor doesn't accidentally go to the top. Um, or like, you know, if you're going to have two screens open, here's, he's like, you want this one on the left and you want this one on the right. And this is why, yeah. you know, and, and there's explanations for it. And each of those things, it saves you either making a mistake or it saves you two seconds. But yeah. like he's, he's like, this is an action that you're going to do this action 80 times a day. And if it saves you two seconds a day over the course of a year, you're literally a week ahead of the next guy. Yeah. And what can you do in a way? Like if, if you get 52 weeks and I get 53 yeah. and then I get 58 and then I get 60 and I get a hundred, I'm not working harder than you. I'm just literally working more. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I, I think that's that listening to you talk about that, that is the big takeaway and the music is the same way. Uh, like I started playing, I taught myself how to play guitar. And so I just thought I was good because I knew what bad sounded like when I started and I knew mm -hmm. that I wasn't that anymore. So I was like, oh, I must be kind of good now. And then you go sit and play with people that know what they're doing and you're like, I'm an idiot. I shouldn't yeah. even be, 
allowed to hold this thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but, but all it does is it, it never did anything but make me better. It never yeah. did anything but make me better. And, and now I find myself mentoring other musicians and just like bursting to tell them things. Like there's this girl that I've been mentoring here and she's got this, you know, beautiful uh, Gibson guitar that's worth thousands of dollars that sadly she didn't earn because somebody just gave it to her and she has it. She just throws it on the bed in the van that she lives in. And I was like, okay, you, you need to turn the string. You need to detune that thing. Cause every time it gets cold, it stretches out the strings and it stretches out the neck and you're, you're breaking your guitar. And by the way, you have a $3,000 guitar and you don't have a case for it. So why don't you have a case for it? Yeah. And um, you know, you need to, you need to put a humidifier in it because if you're not humidifying, it'll break down and like all these tiny little things. And she's just like, I just like to sing. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to tell you this so that you can sing more Yeah. because you're going to show up to a show and you're going to walk on stage and you're going to hit the first string on that guitar and it's going to break or the neck's going to snap, or you're going to have the binding pop loose. And then you're not going to have a guitar for months or a year or, you know, like, what's that going to do to your business? Yeah. You yeah. Know? So you have to, yeah. Being, being like taking care of the tools of your trade and, and curating your environment, like making your environment work with you yeah. um, so that you can move gracefully through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant, man. That's brilliant. That's it's, you, you have a, you have a very natural way of being able to share the things that you've learned that when you when you say it to me i know you say like you know school wasn't your thing but you very much sound like a teacher and you sound like a teacher because you've done those things you know yeah. you've experienced it so yeah. i cool. i think you're yeah i think you're right on the ball man appreciate that um i have another kind of pointed question actually lucas made me think of two things i mean the first thing i want to hit on is that um trey you kind of referred to it back before um your friend who at first he just, he flat out told you like, this is bad. This yeah. is bad. You need help. Um, and then he followed up by making you go to this, you know, that's something that I um, have tried to identify in the, all these, like both of my brothers that I've spoken to and, and hopefully with other guests is, is surrounding yourself with high quality individuals who are interested in your growth. Yeah. Like they, they are willing to say those things to you because they, they know that you have the potential or they are hopeful that you're going to succeed. So like, yeah. what if that guy hadn't said that to you? You know, what if he had told you that you were doing fine? Yeah. Well, and you, you run into that. Um, and I'm sure that both you guys and everything that you've done have ran into those types of people too. You know, you like I've sent pictures of shoes I'm building to guys and they're like, Oh, looks good. No, it doesn't look good, dude. That's why I'm sending it to you. Like, where do I, you know, the really good guys can look at your shoes that you're building for contests or clinics or whatever, or, or not clinics, but contests or certifications. And they can just by looking at the shoes, they can see the mistakes that you're making in putting those imperfections or whatever's wrong in the shoe. They can, they can like just look at the shoe and see the mistakes you're making. So I'm like, you run into those guys all the time. They're like, oh yeah, it looks good. And I don't, I, I don't, 
I struggle with that because like now I'm starting to get people that, you know, a few people here and there that will send me pictures of their shoes. And I'm like, part of me, part of my brain thinks, okay, this is what I see in the shoe. How do you tell it to them? Like, because like we talked about earlier, Marissa, you sent me the deal about, you know, one of the things you want was character. So like, to me, there's two yeah. types of people in the world. You know, there's people that you tell them, good job, but, you know, but do this different, but do that different. And they'll stick with it. Or there's people that, you know, you, you just start out telling them things they do wrong and it's like their brains just shut off. And that's kind of something that I got. I Yeah. Backing up a little bit, I spent uh, my entire life on the wrestling team growing up. My dad was my coach. And then I started coaching when we moved to Colorado in 2010. And so long story short, through my coaching stuff, like I figured out, like people either respond to criticism or they respond to, hey, good job. You know, you have to figure out how to tell them so that they don't shut down, you know. And, and I yeah. was, I was, I spent my summers in Colorado with my grandpa and he was uh, in the Navy and he was blunt like he just told you how it was and so that's how I, i've always grown up and it's not people handle it different i guess you know like you can either be blunt or they do beat around the bush i guess and but i was always the type like don't beat around the bush tell me how it is yeah. and uh, it's how crazy. have you, you you bring up another really great point about communication because i think you know something that's overlooked about being a great farrier and a great blacksmith and um you know you have your business and you're doing the work on the horses but you are the ultimate communicator you are with people speaking to people interacting with clients every single day and i um i i understand from my side of the industry that that's a very hard position for someone to be in mm -hmm. and that you have I'm, I'm sure you have clients across the spectrum. So like, yeah. how did you maybe, maybe, maybe throw us a bad example of like, like somewhere maybe you failed with a client and then like, um, how do you learn how to communicate with people differently? Because, um, you know, for those that aren't in the industry that the, there's a divide between owners and trainers and veterinarians and farriers and and you know sometimes four people all think they know what's right and they're going to be four different opinions so yeah. how do you navigate that very very carefully <laughs> i just it's tough and the reason for me that it's tough is and without i don't know the best way to put it without bashing veterinarians because i work with some good veterinarians clients tend to take what the veterinarians say as the gospel and i think the reason for that is because they put up a practice in a brick and mortar building and they you know clients understand how long vet school is and clients understand how long you know it takes to build that practice and then they look at the horseshoers the farriers and in the United States, my neighbor here across the street, 
he could go tomorrow to the ferrier supply in leota buy a hammer nails and shoes and hang a shingle as a farrier so i think right like nobody wakes up in the morning thinking i'm i've got marissa coming to my veterinarian office today i'm gonna feed her a line of crap about her horse and like nobody thinks like that we all do what we do because we genuinely care genuinely care about the horse so for me i've already had i've already been backed into a corner whenever a vet tells a client something that i don't agree with and i still to this day struggle with um communicating that to the customer because you don't want to be like well yeah they're they're a vet but they don't know like they only have it's only a few hours of from the knee down you know in their in their schooling um and it's it's more than that but like as far as the feet and the function yeah. and how shoes help these horses or different modifications like they don't really get any class time in that so i'm like okay the this is what i think and then i bring science into it because that's what the vets do they're bringing science into it so i have books you know i've got a whole shelf of books up here and i find examples of problems that they're having with their horse i'm like here's the science behind it here's some statistics you know the big thing right now is toe length, you know, back the toe up, leave the heels. And yes, you, that, you know, you don't want to leave a toe run out real long, but you don't want heels stacked up either. So you have to bring science into it to kind of sway their opinion back to reality, I guess. So, okay. So real quick, you said the big thing right now, are there, are there like fads? Yes. With, with horseshoeing yes. that p- people go through? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And there's, and it's like, do you think that, like, what do you think influences that? Is it uh, social media or is it? I don't know. Um, I think a, some of it comes from lack of knowledge, you know, like, so we're seeing a huge increase in veterinarians prescribing the natural balance horseshoe which is like it's a square toe shoe and it brings break over way back and to me it's a gimmick and there'll be guys that people that might listen to this that disagree but it's a pre-made shoe that is designed to speed up break over so it as the horse lands and goes to take you you buy it off the rack yeah and it's basically i don't have i don't have any examples of a of a natural balance shoe but it's got a square toe and then your branches come down and your heels kind of wrap around they're hard to shape they're pain the butt my thing is the gimmick the gimmick in it is that it locks you in if we want to talk about breakover, that shoe locks you in to breakover and it's going to be right here every time. What happens if that breakover is too fast? You know, where I can take a shoe and I can modify it to then I can push breakover forward, I can move it back, I can still fit the rest of the foot. Right. You know, it's 
Uh, it's, but yes, I do think that there's fads, you know, and I, and I think that they're uh, maybe not, oh, maybe breed specific, but I really think they're discipline specific. So like, you know, your ranch guys, they just want them to stay that on. That would make more sense. They sound. Um, and the reason that the thing that pops up in my head is I was scrolling through Facebook this morning and a customer of mine posted a post about, it was, she shared it, but it was about a negative palmer angle. So the, a foot that sits, you know, with the coffin bone up would be negative, low heels. And I start scrolling through the comments and people just trashing us, you know, farriers don't know what they're doing. I thought you regret that. I'm like, happy Sunday, guys. Like, this is exactly what I wake up and read this morning, you know. And to me, it's owners not doing their due diligence to hire a competent farrier. I'm not saying that I, I, I get it wrong. You know, I've messed up. But there's loads of qualified horseshoers across the United States. Don't hire the cheapest guy. Like, right. the cheapest, most ready, readily available yeah. person is not going to be your best option. Like, yeah. I have to agree as like, as an owner and, and as, as someone that's, that's helped people with their horses as a trainer. Um, it's something that very consistently you, you nine times out of 10 do get what you pay for. Yeah. And then, um, I've, I've also noticed that the margin of error that a farrier is allowed as opposed to a trainer or or a vet or um, a body worker or, or, or anyone else that touches a horse, the margin of error that you are allowed is so slim um, that it, it it's frustrating even to people on the out. Like for me, I'm frustrated for you yeah, sometimes I mean, it's, because it's like, like-, like for example, I'll use. Yeah, I. If I, I only know what I know, right? So using my horse as an example, like my horse personally is a bucket of problems. And if I were a different person, I might want to blame those problems on my farrier. But yeah. I've, I've, I've done the work to understand that they're not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I know that, I know that you run into that. So um, it's, it's difficult. And I, how do you? How do you um, not internalize that and and remove yourself from it personally? It's tough. I'm a I'm the type of person that wears my heart on my sleeve all the time, and very rarely do you ever wonder what I think because I just I just say what I think. But I, I've kind of I used to be really quiet about it because I didn't understand. Like I didn't even tip the iceberg on understanding anatomy and biomechanics and how, you know, I would go to a horse, I'd shoe their feet and I'd put them away, get my check and go home. And now like when I walk up to a horse, you look at their feet, obviously, but you're looking at their limbs and their legs and it's just, I don't know. It's one of those things that I've got a lot of really great customers, but as a whole, you know, you touched on Marissa that the farrier is the first guy blamed for seems like a lot, a lot of the problems horses have. And, and maybe that's, maybe they're justified, you know, 
by blaming Joe for their horse's low heels. And maybe he did, you know, take too much heel. But at the same time, it's it's on the owner to hire somebody that has spent time continue education and i'm not saying that there's not good horseshoers out there that aren't certified because that's the furthest thing from the truth there's great horseshoers that aren't certified and there's certified guys and journeyman guys that they went and got the the letters and then when they got home it you know they don't hold themselves to this to that standard so it's tough you know you'll see it all over social media that people looking for horseshoers and, and, you know, and, and until you get them out, you, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get a lot of the time, you know, that, right. but at the same time, like yeah. building my business and building my books, I've started to understand, you know, good customers usually have friends that are good customers. And bad customers with bad horses have friends with bad horses or friends that don't pay their, you know, don't pay the shoeing bill or whatever. So getting to, um, not to get too far off here, but um, probably two and a half or three years ago, I started riding with a guy pretty, pretty religiously. And I started getting a lot of his overflow. And, and he's an older man in the... Um, shouldn't say older. He's going to kick my butt when he hears me say that. He's been in the industry a long time. <laughs> and he's got uh, a book full of really good customers. And he started giving me his overflow. You know, he's it's kind of known in the area. He's not taking on any more new customers. So he, you know, I was, he'd send them my way. And one thing has led to another. And, um, you know, his good customers have made me good customers you know, their friends have been good customers to me. And now it's like a snowball effect. You still run, you know, you still run into some stops that aren't the funnest, but for most, most of it, it's, I work for the people I like, I like to work for. I, I work on horses that I enjoy and yeah, I got room for more, but we're, we're doing, we're doing all right. You know, Hearing you guys talk about frustration reminds me of listening to Andrew Huberman, the neuroscientist, talk about what frustration looks like when you see it on a brain scan. And it is learning. Frustration is when your brain literally hurts because it's creating new neural pathways. Yeah. And it's, you know, to, to hear it, because you, you work in an industry that I understand that you have certifications that you can, you know, you get your, your journeyman and stuff, but by and large, like you say, that it's, it's pretty meritocratic. You're either good or you're not. Yeah. And music is very much like that where you're either good or you're not, but you find that a lot of people don't understand the difference. You know, a lot of venues, they go, well, we need to book a music act. And you're like, okay, do you want a band or do you want a solo act? You know, like, what are you looking for? And they're like, we need music. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you have no clue what you're talking yeah. about. And when you when you show up, if if you book that show, then here's what, you know, what you expect, what you should expect when you go there is you should expect that 
they're probably going to have to move a buffet table out of the way so that you can set up your own stuff. If they have their own gear, it's probably going to be trash. Yeah. They're not going to shut the TVs off while you play. <laughs> they're not going to do a good job of making sure that people don't start fights two feet from the stage. They're not going to protect you um, when you're standing up there vulnerable with $100,000 worth of equipment. They don't care because yeah. they paid their $600 to have music. Yeah. But when you, when you, and, and I did the same thing, by the way, I wanted to quit playing music. I was, I was very frustrated with it and I can't remember why I did it. Actually, I do remember why I did it. It was because I was too scared to tell people no, that were trying to book me. I just, I couldn't tell them no. What I told them instead was, here's what it costs. And that number was twice as much as what it was the last time. And then if they booked me and it was still trash, the next time it was twice as much again. Yeah. And, you know, that helped me to go from, you know, that helped me to go from, hey, we'll give you free beer and 25 bucks to, you know, $2,000 for two hours. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And those shows, by the way, those $2,000 shows, those are the ones that you show up to. And there's two people standing there waiting to carry your stuff in. And they're waiting to carry your stuff out. And they have a place for you to stay. They have a place for you to sit. They have drinks. They have food. They pay you before the show starts. They come up to you halfway through the show and they say, we love what you're doing. We'd like to book you again for next year. They're, they're the easiest people to work with, you know. And I get, I get in these, I get in these philosophical arguments with a friend of mine quite a bit because, um, I, I am very much, and I've, so I used to be, I used to work in finance. I used to work in banking. I've been around a lot of very wealthy people and I'll be honest, they're pretty nice. And the reason is you don't get to be nice or you don't get to be wealthy without learning how to work with other people and you yeah. don't get to consistently work with other people unless you deliver on what you say, unless you, you follow through and you're kind. And, and, uh, I think that we look at, like, we look at society, we have this society that wants to kill the rich. They want to eat the rich. They want to tax the rich. I'm living in a state right now. I'm living in Washington state. And last year, Washington passed a new tax law that was intended to only tax billionaires. So Jeff Bezos decided he was going to move and they had projected that they were going to get, you know, this is such a great thing because we're only taxing the billionaires. They were going to get $3.45 billion from this new law and half of it was coming from Jeff Bezos and he moved. So there goes half yeah. and get, you know, the other people are going to move too. Yeah. And you just look around like I'm in a public library right now in a, what once what was once a very beautiful town i'm told by a lot of people um and and not to say anything you know this is not a judgment one way or another but there's 40 people here and 30 of them um are homeless yeah. you know that's like that's what you have like that's what happens when you treat people that way yeah but if you consistently you know if you know that if you know that you're gonna have to deal with this person tomorrow you're gonna have to deal with them next week you want your life to be easy, so you're going to do everything you can to make their life easy. Yeah, and yeah, I, I find I find uh, I find the way that the way that people that want to pay for quality, and by the way, they want to pay for quality. 
They want to pay yeah. for quality because it saves them. It saves their horse from breaking down. It saves them the time from going to the vet. It saves them all these things. In the end, it's always cheaper to pay up front to do the thing well. And um, yeah. I'm glad that you get to experience that. You know, I think that's a great thing that you have a meritocratic industry that rewards you for the talent that you bring. Yeah. Um, well, and, it, and it just encourages you to continue to do better. Yeah. And it, you know, it, I don't know that, um, I think a lot of our, I live in a really rural Colby, Kansas. I mean, it's as rural as you can get. And a lot of people I work for are self-employed. Um, they understand the cost to run a business. They understand all of that. Um, but there's still a divide, even for, you know, the people that I work for on cost. and there's a famous saying, and I'm sure it's not just in the ferry industry, but it, they, you know, charge until you like them. And I think that there's charge until you what charge until you like them. You know, if you run into a bad stop or oh, it's I like your, your music deal, you know, like you, you oh, got a gig at a spot that isn't any good. Just charge them more until you're satisfied with the money yep. that makes it worth go there, worth going there. Yep. And I, I think there's something to that, but, I'm my brain doesn't like when I decide I don't like you or I don't want to work for you. There's not enough money in the world for, to get me to come work for you. Good night. Mm -hmm. Sorry guys. My dogs, are, dogs and kids are crashing through the door, but <laughs> yeah, you're, cool. you're good. You're cool. Try to, you know, charge them till you okay. like thing. And I just can't like, yes, that works in some cases, but, when I decide, like, when it comes to that point for me, like, I just, we just need to go our separate ways because there's not enough amount of money in the world that is going to make me like you or like working on your horses. And it's not like, I don't, yep. people that um, might listen to this and think, well, this guy doesn't, you know, he's picky, he's whatever. And I, I put up with a lot, but at the same time, like, I expect a lot too. You know, you, as a customer, you expect for me to do the best job that I can do on every horse. And it's crazy what my best job in a right. barn that a clean barn with horses that stand in cross ties or stand tied to the tie rail looks like compared to my best job on a horse that's wiggly or rude or whatever. You know, my best job is not always the same job. We can only do what we can do with what the horse is going to let us do really. But. Right. And it has uh, to do with like, I try to relate to some people. It Like your safety is, is a big part of that equation, isn't yeah. it? I mean, this is, yeah. this is an extremely physical job. Yeah. Yeah. That. And, you know, I've, I've kind of this, it sounds, doesn't always come out the best but like it's one thing to not be worried about my safety so i've tried to explain it to him from the horse's safety standpoint where every tool that i put in my hand is meant to cut is meant to take material off is meant to nails they drive in feet okay so we're talking quarter inch you know we want our nails within the white line of a foot which is the a non-sensitive that's where the best 
grab is for those nails. The white line's 16th of an inch, eighth of an inch. So it's one thing to not be worried about me, but when I'm driving those nails, your horse wiggles and I drive that nail, boom, blood. So think about it from your horse's standpoint. Like if your horse isn't giving me the best opportunity to safely trim feed or do my job or whatever, then that puts them at risk too. And I haven't had to like go off on that spiel on too many people, but every now and then I'm like, look, it's not just about my safety. Like your safety, your horse's safety is important too. I don't want to bleed your horse. You know, anytime you see blood, you're probably doing something wrong. So if they well, try and. I think that can apply to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try and put it on them a little bit. And sometimes it makes a difference. Sometimes it doesn't. Usually when I say that at that point, it really doesn't make a difference. I just try and make myself feel better about it. <laughs> yeah, so, I, have, I have this quote written on my wall and it says, if this matters, everything matters. Yeah. And it's just oh, like, like that. if, you know, like from, from the, like as a musician, it's like the, the kind of strings I buy, the yeah. way that I string them onto my guitar the way that I clean the fretboard when I change it, the way that I store my guitar, how I carry it. Like, I mean, every time I give somebody a car, guitar, I say, look, there's a way to carry a guitar. You have to carry it so that if it accidentally opens, it falls against your leg, not outside. So you always have to carry it so it opens into you. Yeah. Because stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. it's like, you know, I think a lot of people view that as being controlling. And, and I learned about this thing called combinatorial explosion, which just basically means that once you get past like three or four different variables, you have literally no way to predict what's going to happen. And, and the way to describe that is there are more possibilities for the order of a deck of cards to be shuffled in than there are stars in the sky. And, the, and there's only 52 cards. That's insane. Yeah. Like, the course of human history, there is probably never statistically speaking there's never wow. been a deck of cards that's been shuffled the same way that's insane there's only yeah. 52 and so i looked at it, i looked at it as this is not controlling like there's chaos in the world and there are things that i can handle and everything up to the point of chaos is something i can predict it's something i can i can i can plan for yeah. and in that way when i'm surprised by something it's genuinely a surprise. It's not, oh, I feel like an idiot because I didn't do this or this or yeah. this, you know? Yeah. You have to take care of it. You know? Yeah. That's nuts. Little segue there into like kind of going back into how you you became certified and um, you were reaching for like excellence in your craft basically is, is what you've been doing these past few years. What... Um, you know, is there a financial barrier to that? Is there, what type of input to, does that take? And then, and what would you say to someone, like if there's a farrier listening to you who is um, is just nailing shoes on horses, right? And they have, they're tired and they've got, you know, crappy horses or crappy clients and then they want to do better. What's the first, like, what is the first step that you have to take to, to get yourself better horses, better clients, um, 
be more experienced? What's what's that one step? To me, and it goes back to the benefits of the certification is the people around me, the the ferry the farrier community. You know, I go. I've started going um, twice a month to Wichita and getting in a guy's truck out there. I go out there every two weeks for two days um, and just getting with other people. Like there's, there's horseshoeing clinics across the United States. You can find one just about every weekend. You know, there's something going on somewhere. And if you're, if you're struggling, um, you have to be open-minded as to why you're struggling. You know, are you, are you struggling because you live in an area that is not as densely populated in horses? Are you struggling because you're the work that you're producing isn't with, you know, the rest of the guys in your area? Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of variables, but the thing that it comes down to for me is just getting in with other guys. You know, if you, if you build a good reputation with a good farrier in your area, you know, you show up when you say you're going to be there, you get in his truck, you work hard all day. They're going to give you their overflow. You know, most of the guys that I've put, I've tried to surround myself with aren't taking on any more clients. So by doing that, I go and I work as hard as I can and do the absolute best job I can for them. And then in hopes that, you know, they pay me, but the trade-off is more good clients and if you're if you're struggling with i'm no help on the business side of it i i think that that's my biggest my biggest struggle right now is the money running the business side of it but you know the communication thing and the the work part of it i you know i'm starting to feel like maybe i'm grasping it a little bit but but yeah just getting around other guys and or girls who there's Tons and tons of great female farriers too. That's it's not just the guys. I had a I had a spectacular female farrier in Scottsdale. She's yeah. Shout out to Kristen. You are a badass. <laughs> I think they're um, girls are, the business side is girls are what girls are more particular for sure. You know it. They seems like they don't work quite as fast, but they're man. They you have a, a female working on your horses. There's usually coming out right <laughs> a lot of the time they're, they're good <laughs> power to the women um <laughs> no i can agree um yeah my my farrier kristen in scottsdale was um very very particular she took a lot of time and a lot of care and she was smaller she was you know about my size and it so of course it took her longer you know it was, yeah, it was harder totally. work for her you know just yeah. physically um but yeah the on the business side, that's where I have to take a back seat. I can't relate, you know, and I, I'm I'm hopefully we'll, you know, get into it soon and, and create an LLC soon for myself. But I don't Lucas, do you have any questions or comments on the on the on the finance, on the on the running a business? I don't have questions, unfortunately. I do have advice. And, yeah. and my well, advice. Let me get my notepad here and I'll start writing some stuff down. <laughs> I mean, it'll, <laughs> it'll be short. It'll be very short in the advice that I would give you, like to hear you talk. So you're interested in what you're doing. You like doing a good job. You have the capacity to do more. 
but the thing that it sounds like it's like in a business you always want to try to identify what is your what's your stop yeah what's what's your obstacle and it sounds like for you the obstacle is on the financial side yeah. there's a really quick way to take care of that and it's to pay somebody to do it and yeah. there's a there's a set you know um people you, you cut checks for results um and, and people don't uh, oftentimes people don't understand this but it's like yes you need to understand your business you don't need to do every aspect of your business um yeah. and if there is something that you don't if you can multiply your income by if you can if you can add 40 percent to your income by taking 10% of your profits and hiring somebody, do it. You're 30% ahead. What yeah. have you lost? And not only that, now you have a team. And when you have a team, then not only do you have somebody else to fight for, yeah. that's like the, one of the, the most touching, the most touching thing I heard when I, I sat very intimidated, I sat with our sisters, our sister Katie's husband and a, a, a number of his team members from, um, uh, from group, I think it's group six of uh, special forces in the army. And to hear these guys talk, it became very clear that every single thing that they did was for the guy sitting next to them. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with, you know, yeah, they signed up because they believed in the flag and because they loved the country. But at the end of the day, they sacrificed because of the people around them. Mm -hmm. And if you can build a team around you, um, you know, I think that's, that's just the quickest way. It's the, it's the simplest way. It's the fastest way. And it's the way that people don't want to do because they think it's cheating. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I like the, I like the saying that pessimists get to be right and optimists get to be rich. Like you'd be yeah. right all day long if you want and sit over there and say that, it, you know, if you're not doing everything on yourself, then you're not a true businessman. I mean, Warren Buffett, is one of the most successful businessmen in history and all he does is drink diet coke and read newspapers like that's it <laughs> and I mean, go to mcdonald's yeah and go to mcdonald's he didn't i mean he didn't do his own stuff he just thinks and then he says okay i have i have knowledge that i sought i took that knowledge and i applied it and when i applied it it became wisdom and then every single day i kept showing up with that wisdom and putting energy into that and that's what made me a success was the continual application of energy and wisdom and when you do that then you provide value and you get rewarded with that value um, with other people's time or other people's money which is what they trade their time for right yeah. so i mean that's the only thing that's the only thing that i would say um on the business side you know the other thing is that I think Marissa was trying to get to this, but you know, you're in, you're, you're in a business that is much like being a professional athlete where at a certain point, your body is going to break and yeah. you know that. Yeah. Um, and it's something that you probably take a lot of steps to maintain and delay as much as possible. Um, but what's your plan for when you no longer physically want to do this job? What do you think you're going to do at, at that point? I'm, you know, I could, I could suggest teaching because I think you'd be a, just an absolutely wonderful teacher and you've got the experience as a wrestling coach, but yeah. I'm interested to know in what you think the direction of your business is going. 
in the the future, man. I, I'm I haven't ever here up until here recently. I haven't really ever like this is my plan A, B, and C. This is the last six or seven years have been like I'm gonna be a horseshoe. And talking with other guys in the industry and like I'm you know a lot of guys you hear you know they say that well I felt my best at between 40 and 50 so I'm in my head I'm like okay I'm 31 so I got 20 more good years in me um but I've already started like I don't really have a set direction I think I want to go but definitely something within the within the industry you know and and just because for no other simple fact than I love the horses, that's why we do, we all do what we do because we love the horse. But probably the second to that is the family that the industry has kind of given us. You know, there's probably sound like a broken record, but all my friends are horseshoers. We're all, we all think alike. We're all not heads. Like you have to be a not head to be a horseshoe. It's like wrestling. You got to be kind of a shithead to be a wrestler. You got to kind of be a shithead to be a horseshoe too. Like it takes a special person to be able to do it. So like I've kind of found another family within the industry. So I've made a few calls here and here and there and like not really looking for anything immediate, but just trying to put it out there that, you know, I'd, at some point, I would like to, you know, whether it be a rep for uh, Kirkhart or Mustad or Workman or whoever, like somehow get in, you know, get inside the industry a little bit more and not just from the horseshoe side of it, but from maybe a, a rep of some sort or I don't know. I think there's tons of avenues there, but I just got to find them. Yeah. You mentioned um, the hammer-ins that you've started. Yeah. And to me, that's really interesting. And I know you, you guys do it for yourselves and it's like a private thing. But like, if you guys were mic'd up, I would sit there and pay to watch we do that a with bunch not- of farriers talking about their craft and doing <laughs> it. Like, you like, like bleep, maybe... Bleep. You know, eighteen and over or something, but and that, I mean that's that's a clinic that's a clinic that I would pay to watch. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and that's to me the job and the people, the customers. Um, it's physically demanding, it's mentally demanding, and that is that's the release for me. Is once a month I go get my buddies. You know, we we're all fighting the same struggles. The weather sucks. People you know hard to get along with horses, whatever. And it's not really a learning atmosphere, but it's a learning atmosphere, you know, and, and that's, I don't know. The Kansas Barriers Association has been a huge part of my life for the last two years, for sure, probably three. And it's, it's another way for me to kind of one, just get around the guys and the girls that are here in Kansas and um, Nebraska too. Like we had some guys this weekend from come down from Nebraska and, just get together. You know, when, when people get together and they care about what they're doing, the horses who benefits really. And that's, that's cool. It. it sounds like, it sounds to me like a bunch of musicians who go and yeah. Yeah. sing at each other and write songs and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It's fun. Gosh, I had something in mind and it, it kind of slipped away, but I'll, I'll go with something close to it. Um, you know, we talked about what you would, what you would say to a farrier that that's coming up, but like, 
maybe let's let's back away from like even a farrier like just just you being you in life like what um what's something that has kept you reaching instead of settling like what kept you out of walmart um and like we've talked about how the people are the people around you are really important but um is it humor that got you there is it you know what what's something within you that kept you moving forward oh man kind of touched on it earlier but my grandpa and his military background um i worked for him for several years right out of high school in burlington on the they had a ranch they ran some cows and stuff and he was uh he was a six day a week guy monday through saturday we're working sundays he stayed home and you know that was family time and um one thing he always told me and it didn't matter whether we were building fence or bailing hay at two in the morning waiting on you know waiting on dew to come or whatever so we could bail you don't quit when you're tired. You quit when you're done. And I was like, I didn't really, have, like at the time, I, you know, okay, I'm tired, but I guess I'm going to keep going until the job's done. But the older I get, the more meaning that has, you know, it, it's not just when you get tired, it doesn't mean you can cut corners and do things, you know, quicker or faster or whatever to get done. Like you still have to do quality quality work and it's just kind of i don't know he he was he was always my biggest supporter and my biggest uh, my biggest fan and anytime i felt like i was selling myself short or or not giving 110 percent whatever i was doing it felt like i was disappointing him kind of like anytime i was disappointed myself i always knew in the back of my head that he might have been a little disappointed too like you could have done it a little better you could have done a little more and so I don't know. I've just always been um, driven to be good. And it didn't matter whether I was playing sports or shoeing horses or when we were roping or being a husband or a dad. Like, I don't think that – I think if you're going to do something that's worth doing, it's worth doing your best. It's, you know, if you're just doing it to do it or doing it to post pictures on social media, like, is it really worth it? Like, I post – all kinds of stuff on social media yeah. with my work and stuff, but it's not really like for me, it's more about, like, I, yeah, I do too. I can go back on it in a couple of years and be like, man, that really wasn't very good. Like you can kind of see your growth, you know? And, oh, me too, man. Yeah. Talk about horse training, watching a video that's a few years old and yeah. you're like, whew. Yeah. but no, I mean, it, glad me, I don't do that I, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> It's just always been about if it's worth doing, it's worth worth giving everything you got to do it. And it, I think that kind of falls into all aspects. Yeah, of that's like, yeah, like what was that? What was your quote, Lucas? If if this matters, everything matters. Yeah. That's. I think you do have to. You have to either fail pretty badly a few times or see it happen a few times to then get to a point where, like, I agree with you, Trey. Like, there's a lot of things in my life now that I'm not interested in doing if I'm not able to do them yeah. the correct way yeah, or the best way or, you know, and if I can't do it the correct way or the best way or whatever, I want to find someone who can, which is like, we go right back to like why 
I searched high and low to find a good <laughs> barrier because like that's I think Lucas mentioned it earlier like you got to be able to stop when you know you you don't know or mm -hmm. like reach that point and like I I know some things about feet I know some things about what's wrong with my horse yeah I need to hand him off to someone who actually knows who's well, who's an actual expert in the area yeah I'm you know, I try hard and there's, I don't know, there's, I feel like I'm, it's one of those deals to me, the whole certification process was a big eye opener about the more, you know, the more you maybe don't know, like, it seemed like the more I've learned, the more questions mm -hmm. that I have about really what's going on. And, and I'm not afraid, like, yeah, to this day, I'll pull up to a stop and, and I said it before, but we'll run into something and I'll be like, give me five minutes. I got to go make a phone call. And I'll call. I got guys all over. Right. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. You know, send them some x-rays, send them some videos of the horse moving. And and if they don't know, like, there'll be somebody that does. Okay, thanks. Call the next guy. In. You just got to be humble, you know. And it, it's, it's hard to do. You know, you show up and you're the professional and you're the one getting paid to do the job and be like, let me call somebody because right. I'm in over my head here. It's important though. That's, you know, we, um, we just got done in interviewing my, my other older brother, Christopher, and he kind of signed off with that. Yeah. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. And you, yeah. you can't because you have to, you have to be able to say, Hey, I I'm stuck or I don't, I don't know how to do this or, you know, I need, I know what I don't know, but I don't know how to find the answer to what I don't know. And yeah. um, when you get to that point, I think you, start to grow exponentially because like Lucas said with the finances then you're you're seeking out that mm -hmm. that expert advice or that you're finding other people who are good at what they do and you're letting them help you yeah yeah that's I'm gonna start that on Monday the, the head to on the way to financial financial success too <laughs> <laughs> heck yeah heck yeah yeah, the the best thing you can do with money is get rid of it. Yeah. And get back time. You know. That's Yeah. I think so. Man, um gosh, Lucas, do you have any Trey, you've been you've been fantastic, man. I really appreciate uh you taking the time. Um there's going to be a lot of people, I hope, or at least one person who takes away from this that um the lessons that you've learned, they're applicable. They're oh, yeah. applicable if you're a mechanic. They're applicable if you're a doctor. They're applicable no matter what you're doing, yeah. um, which is to get involved in something. Make sure that you have stake in the, you know, you've got, you've got skin in the game. And mm -hmm. then to realize that you can get better by humbling yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and going on asking questions. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a fantastic fantastic job that you did and i'm really glad that you took the time to be with us yeah so thank you thank you guys yeah, for having thank you it's been fun um for sure any 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 last words any uh you know sign off advice or anyone you want to thank <laughs> i got <laughs> we got another two hours i can probably get tip the iceberg on the people to thank i got it's been yep. it's been unreal the amount of help that i've i've received over the last couple of years and the people that have been willing to take time out of their day to 
sit on the phone with me while I got questions or spend at the porch, you know, at the anvil when I got problems or guys that let me get in their truck. You know, there's so many people to thank that just if you're listening, thank you because it's it takes a village. It really does. Thank you so much, Trey. I've learned a lot. I'm I'm sure anyone who who takes the time to listen to you is going to learn a lot and and also have met a really cool person. So thank you. I appreciate it. See you guys.